Hello, everyone. Welcome to another episode of the Scratch Cinema Podcast. This is going to be a very special pandemic movie-themed episode for no reason whatsoever. I am joined today by Henry, first-time guest, hailing from Seattle, the epicenter of the crisis. Hello, Henry. Hello. How's it going? It's going well. Um, and I'm also joined again by Quinnell, hailing from Atlanta, where the podcast practicing the most social distancing out there. Quinnell doesn't want to be a person. She wants to be a unicorporous corporation. Hello, Quinnell. I would get way more tests that way. Yeah, I think that would be a good thing to do. I think you should become a corporation. That is what we will we'll do next out. time. Can I file bankruptcy now? We'll see. Yeah. <laughs> You'll get a huge bailout. It'll be great. Um, today we're going to be talking about a bunch of different pandemic movies. What we have on the docket is ones you've heard about, ones maybe you haven't heard about because they've been putting out a bunch of lists surrounding them. But we're going to talk about Outbreak, 12 Monkeys, Children of Men, Carriers, Contagion, and It Comes at Night, as well as any other movies that, that pop into our head or other thoughts that we have. Um, are you all ready? Yeah, let's go. Okay, yeah. so we're starting with Outbreak, which for me might have been my least favorite, but it is the most quintessentially 90s movie. Essentially, it stars Dustin Hoffman as a doctor for the army who has to find a deadly cure for a virus spreading throughout a California town that was brought to America by an African monkey. What did everyone think of Outbreak? <laughs> oh boy, um... I actually really liked Outbreak. I liked of it. Of course than... you did. Of course I, you did. I, we, yeah. We're, we're going to find you and I have contradictory tastes, I think. I uh, was so shocked. I mean, it's not like right? you're a huge fan of the movie Aquaman or anything. Well, <laughs> I, this is not going to be an Aquaman podcast. Um, but Aquacast comes another time. Yeah, I, I have a strong case for that movie that I will say convinces many people. But we'll leave it there. Um, but anyways, Outbreak. Mm, I I really liked Outbreak because um, I I don't know it it felt like it was having fun in a in a way that I don't know I've been finding these movies in the last couple of weeks um, and enjoying them for the similarities they do not draw. Most right. of them, most of them, like in, and I think Outbreak is a great example of this, but they. They, you can see where the where the Hollywood cliches or the endings or the story tropes take over, um, where their their want or their interest for like connecting to reality ends. So like an outbreak, kind of that last third is where it kind of twists into this this weird, bizarre like oh this would never ever happen in in any type of real life. While the first two thirds are trying to be much more. Um, based off of like real life events and the whole Ebola outbreak in the 1980s and stuff like that, um, so I, I don't know. I, I really appreciated and had a lot of fun with that that difference of being like, oh, this is this is clearly, you know, trying to trying to be more entertaining than something like Contagion, which is trying to be much more, um, I guess, literal. But yeah, I, I don't know. I'm interested. Are in you guys' thoughts? Are you on saying outbreak. that? a helicopter doing a standoff with a giant <laughs> army bomber wouldn't happen like that i well it could happen i am neither a pilot of a giant military plane nor an air nor a helicopter pilot so i have no clue but yeah that was pretty ridiculous and i had a lot of fun with it 
Quinnell, what were your thoughts on Outbreak? Um, I was bored. <laughs> <laughs> Why were you bored? I felt that this film had a very weird pace. There were so many montages. And, I mean, I guess it's also a 90s film. And the pacing usually exhausts me. But I did enjoy the last third of the film. <laughs> yeah, the last third really picks up where they're like, Forget all this science junk. We're going out into the field to find this monkey, and Cuba Gooding's and gonna shoot it with a character I like, and she's a little girl. Yeah. yeah, she was pretty cute. She was just like, "Oh, I don't understand this adult stuff. I just have my friend, the monkey." But who? What was the name of the monkey? I can't even remember. Betsy. Is that what she called him? Yeah, she calls the, the monkey Betsy. Let's okay. see. I, yeah, that was one of my favorite scenes is when they're like trying to capture the monkey and they're doing this whole rigmarole of like, are they going to shoot the kid with the tranquilizer or not? And you're like, okay, well, they're not going to shoot the child with a tranquilizer dart. But that's not that kind of movie. Yeah. But I loved that, that, like, that was something that was an option that they even brought on the table. Like, they're like, well, like, in this scene, we're going to have a, like, it's the 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 tension the climax is whether this dart's gonna hit the monkey or the child and like there's a whole sequence about are we gonna accidentally shoot this child or the monkey i don't know i that was the kind this of moment where cuba getting jr's character slips yeah yeah you think that maybe he's going to shoot this child and, and betsy we should be clear not slip. shoot 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 with like a tranquilizer dart yeah yeah also and we should be clear we're going to spoil probably a lot of these movies <laughs> Oh, yeah. I'm not... Yeah, uh, definitely spoiling all of them. <laughs> but that but, said, I did find it really difficult to connect with a lot of the characters. You were moved I by Dustin's divorce subplot? <laughs> His I wife was not, takes a dog. I can definitely... I was I can... moved by Kevin Spacey's character. Yeah, which is Ooh, kind of a bummer I, now. But maybe because I think Kevin Spacey's hot. Oh no! Oh no! Sarcastic and serious. I'm so sorry. Yeah, you're not the first people to respond this way. (laughs) No, I I always. That's fine. Yeah, I always think it's so interesting. Like now, when we see Spacey in movies and stuff like that, um, just like the the 2020 nature of like our hindsight with with everything that he's involved in, Um, but. But jumping on on Casey and, and Cuba Gooding Jr.'s, like, I loved that, like, the the ensemble nature of this cast. And I actually was a huge, I will, I can go to bat for the Rene Russo, Daniel, or Dustin Hoffman kind of divorce subplot. Okay, um, go for it. I, I don't know, I really liked their, like, working slash arguing slash, like, comfortable relationship, especially in this crisis scenario. I liked how they, and there are things like I think would be done much better, better now. But looking at it and being like, okay, like, you know, they introduce him as his character. He's a total workaholic, and then they also introduce her as a total workaholic, and like the fact that he's really not able to handle that as well as a relationship, and she's able to do both, and is able like, okay, this is not working. And he's not even able to put up any type of a fight or anything like that. He's kind of like, yeah, like this. Yeah. Okay. But he obviously still like cares about her and loves her. And she obviously cares about him, but then they're put back together because of this virus. And they're, 
I liked that it it turned much more into like a working relationship with like the the context of like we knew each other for twenty years or whatever. Um, yeah, that's my I guess, sense of it. I guess the thing that just makes me laugh a lot is like the line that Dustin Hoffman gives where he's like, "Oh boy." First, we were fighting over the dogs and who got to keep them, and now we're fighting over a virus, and it just right? felt really <laughs> goofy. And I, I completely I, agree. I'm I'm all for schlock, but it oftentimes was just like, oh boy, because it felt like it felt like a Mr. Mom or sort of the like quintessential '90s, like ah, he's a workaholic, she yeah. didn't feel valued, and like I don't know, it was silly. I was fine with it for the most part. But I was yeah. like almost more invested in the Dustin Hoffman Morgan Freeman relationship. Oh, I did like that because even though Morgan Freeman was like sort of meant to be the the clear cut like uh, military corrupt guy covering everything up, he he feels conflicted about it. He starts to have second thoughts. Whereas Donald Sutherland's character is just a hundred percent like, nope, we got to cover this all up. It's for the good of good to the government we got to blow up the town no one can know and i don't know seeing him win morgan freeman over until he does the final little betrayal of like oh you better not fly at that plane and disrupt their flight path otherwise they'll miss and right. that that was that was good i just i don't know yeah, movies have to make sacrifices it is it is a long movie cuz we were talking about the last third being good probably the first hour and a half is sort of just like, oh, we're we're trying to figure it out. And then it just sort of abandons that is like, nope, we're just gonna go find the monkey and do all this stuff. I don't know. Yeah. It no, definitely think... go ahead. No, yeah, keep continue what you're saying. I'll 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 jump. I was just after. gonna say it definitely is the one that people have the most nostalgia for. Like I remember watching this on television and oh my goodness, this is silly and strange. And like even though it gets pretty serious at times like it's it's still lighthearted enough like you're seeing people die but it's sort of like oh, okay now we're gonna have a chase scene and a helicopter chase sequence and it, it never like gets overly dour it sort yeah. of offers some lightheartedness throughout yeah quinnell do you have any any thoughts considering i think you like it less than i do which is interesting do you do you have any other any other thoughts? The I monkey's think I cute. I didn't find too many things that were very redeemable about the movie. I liked the relationship that they tried to build between the characters. I did try to get invested. Mm-hmm. I enjoyed the foreshadowing at the very beginning about the what the conflict was going to be at the end between the army involvement. Yeah. Oh, I did find that strange the entire time. Why? That they were so hands-on militarily. You think it was, like, too overt that they were, like... Because everyone would notice this if suddenly a giant bomb was dropped on a town. Like, it wasn't... Exactly. Or if the army was responsible for quarantining. It was just very odd. Yeah. Yeah. I find I think one of the reasons I find this movie interesting and engaging is like if I had just found this movie um, separate to our outbreak or whatever, I think I would definitely find it less interesting. But I recently read like the Richard Preston book, The Hot Zone. Um, yeah, 
Yeah, which details just the outbreak and the, the kind of the discovery, the modern discovery of Ebola and its various different strains. And there's an incident that happened um, where a specific strain of Ebola that was pretty much only deadly to monkeys was brought into the U.S. Um, this would have been the late late 80s. Um, and the U.S. Army handled the whole quarantine and everything like that. It was at this monkey facilitation, and they ended up killing all the monkeys, um, like hundreds of them, and cleaning out this whole place. And this is this huge deal because the government thought that Ebola was going to run rampant throughout the U.S. population. So they, the government actually like sent in the army to do the quarantine and everything like that. And it was kind of like one of those no questions things. It was really, really strange. But that was like the reason I found this movie interesting or like was very interested in it from the beginning just because it's it's strongly based off of the Ebola outbreak or the, the knowledge of Ebola in the 1980s and coming on 90s. Um, while embellishing kind of creatively in, in the holiday. No, day, it embellished really some things? I don't believe you. <laughs> a little. A little. Yeah, because like the first I was like, oh, it's like Ebola. And I was like, oh, wait, no. It's, it's, yeah. it's much it's more grounded a little Ebola. bit, but then sort of goes off the rails. And it's intentional yeah. about that. Yeah. The, only, the yeah. only moment that was like, especially a bummer, was like, oh, no, it's spread out a movie theater. I guess no more movies now. We all sit at home by ourselves right? watching movies oh. yeah that was a bummer um, um the, the rhetoric of them being at war is something that was yeah really relevant to our current situation and i thought that was interesting yeah ends up having it be as like some sort of enemy that you have to fight although in this case the enemy ends up being on the inside and that's that's where i want to say i really like donald sutherland and things I think he's gotten sort of typecast where people are just like, oh, yeah, he's President Snow from The Hunger Games. But yeah. Donald Sutherland has a lot of great performances in, like, random horror movies or little things like this where he's just, like, 100% committing to it. And I don't know. Yeah. His character is 100% just, like, broad brush, evil dude covering stuff up. But Donald Sutherland's always great. Does anyone else have any other thoughts on the Outbreak? <laughs> don't think right now i might have more when we when we work our way down the line but okay we'll talk we'll talk a little bit about 12 monkeys which is not exactly a pandemic movie because it's more a time travel movie although the impetus is that bruce willis's character is a convict who is sent back in time to gather information about the man-made virus that wiped out most of the human population on the planet it ends up being very also kind of silly at times because it's directed by Terry Gilliam. Brad Pitt's character is wild, honestly. Yeah. Um, Quinnell hasn't seen it, so I don't want to exclude her too much, so we'll just talk about it briefly. But I remember when I first saw it, and there's sort of the revelation towards the end, which I, even though we're talking spoilers, I don't want to say too much about. It kind of hits you that all of this time he's put in to figure out the mystery, dealing with these dreams, and it ends up being that his presence being there will also bring about his own doom, and he won't yeah. actually fix it, and in many ways he sets it in place. I don't know. I liked that. What did you think of it, Henry? I liked that. The, the, the area that kind of trips me up there is like he wasn't really sent back by choice, um, and so the the creative choice to kind of bring in his his position and his effect on the situation like I get that it's less impactful to me because it's like he was 
not really there by choice. He was just like, uh, okay. Like the scene where they send him back first, they're like, you get these really strong vibes of like very unethical. Like he's not super consenting to the full scope of what he's about to do, like sign himself away. And then he just, they're like, yeah, don't worry about it. Your prison sentence will be like alleviated. You'll get a pardon. You're going to be doing this great work. Don't worry about it. Okay, here you go. And Wait, Henry, like, yeah. are you saying that prisoners get exploited by the state and put in harm's way for some sort of end? I'm, <laughs> I'm shocked by this. So I just I watched mean, Shawshank Redemption for the first yeah. time the other day. Um, but for the yeah. first time? Okay. For the first time. I thought it was time. Um, but I, I don't know, because I, I, I like that notion of like someone being pushed um, and developing personally along this journey and then realizing that they're their participation has consequences. Mm-hmm. Um, this was just slightly less uh, tied together for me because yeah. he was, you know, I, but yeah, I'm also not a huge Terry Gilliam fan. That's um, fair. If you're not a Terry Gilliam fan, then this is probably not going to be your movie. Um, yeah. I, in many I, ways, just think watching it for the Brad Pitt performance because it's, I can't think of any other Brad Pitt performance that's like, quite like this because he's sort of a anarchist like he is in fight club but he's just on a whole other level and is like very eccentric i don't know it's quite something have you seen uh snatch i believe i knew you were gonna mention snatch i think it's similar but snatch he's a little bit more dialed back i agree yeah yeah it's i to me it's like the one that i find is much more easy and and interesting to rewatch yeah Um, but yeah, I mean, I always like Brad Pitt, so it's it's not really. I don't know this movie. I hadn't seen it before watching it for this podcast, um, and I, yeah, I mean, it just to me it wasn't wasn't really. Do you think you would ever watch it again or show it to anyone? That's the ultimate evaluator. No. Okay, then uh, it's bad. We're moving. Well, on. I don't. I'm not going to say it's bad. I think it's just not for me. That's what I'll say. Gotcha. How would you pitch it to Quinnell? Quinnell, what are you curious about with 12 Monkeys? Uh, Well, I'm sad that I missed out on watching the film with Brad Pitt. Yeah, he's always good. He's a little scary in this. I mean, I'd just like to see young Brad Pitt act to see, you know, how the legend was built. Yeah. But I guess I'm wondering... Do you think that it's more interesting of a film because it approaches the epidemic as something that's already affected the world? Yeah, I I like that aspect where it's like, oh, literally they're all underground and everything is like basically gone is interesting because like many of the other movies we talk about, it's like pretty close by that the pandemic has happened. This is like, oh, it's it's way far gone. Like everything yeah. is. In the past, it's 2035. It's it's way, way, way far gone. And so that's interesting. That's what kind of sets it apart. Although it's 2035, but he is sent back to 1990. So And then 1996. So it, it's not really that futuristic. That's mostly the beginning. But it still stands out because of that framing that makes it unique. Yeah, I think that's a really interesting question. Because that was something I was thinking a lot about during it. Was like... So much of it, he's in 1996, like right before the virus outbreak. And 
you're he's he knows it's happening some of the people around him know like something but it, it really does bring into like the limelight the, the thing that we're dealing with right now of like do you shut yourself in do you believe that it's gonna get to whatever level that it gets to or are you like i don't really know what's gonna happen i'm gonna still go to work like if you have that possibility and i see that like i see that a ton now on twitter or talking to my friends of like no one really knows much and so some mm-hmm. people are viewed as like overreacting because they're doing you know they're stocking up on groceries and a lot of people are viewed as underreacting or irresponsible if they're you know going out to the park hanging out with friends whatever it is um right yeah, but there's no real frame of reference as to whether or not the responses are appropriate right yeah and i i mean i think about that all the time for myself of like what is my risk what am i am i putting other people in this position like i also just have no clue so it's this constant feeling of like am i doing the right thing and imagining that like if if everyone else was like no you're 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 thinking wrong like in this movie they're like this dude's crazy they lock him up in an insane asylum right Um, because he's saying he traveled through time to stop a pandemic like Mm -hmm. it's it's a hard it's a hard pitch to sell to people unless they really understand what's going on and even yeah and just like thinking about that now like the idea that we are dealing with a pandemic like i was thinking about this a few months ago when i was reading uh the hot zone i was like just this type of thing hitting 21st century usa would be insane like how do how do we what would we do how do we react to that and and then having something similar like that happening is just like it's such a bizarre experience. And and yeah, I mean that was the one part I really liked about Twelve Monkeys is it really got at that question of like before something happens, we aren't really we're very bad at like predicting stuff that happens, or even if we are good at predicting it, we're bad at listening to our predictions. Um, yeah. Not great at preparing for what might come. Yeah, but that, I mean, yeah. I think that was something I, I really I guess... liked. Go ahead, Cornell. Oh, just, it's all right. I'll let you finish your thought. Go ahead, Harry. I, don't, I I was, I think that was about it. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Well, I was just gonna say, even if we don't listen, we just. About... Even if we How just do you guys our... feel about it being so proximate to twenty thirty five currently? Uh, we're 15 years away. We're we're far out. We'll we'll be fine. We'll have time travel by then. Brad Pitt might well, not want to be sent back, but we'll do somebody. Yeah, I don't know who would want it. I don't know. It's interesting. Yeah. Um. I mean, I always I always think about that as far as science fiction movies go. Like I was watching Akira the other day, and like that takes place in Tokyo in 2019, and. You know, thinking about like Blade Runner two, everything everything sends us forwards x amount of years in the future, but now like we're we're coming up on those dates, and to think of what our world would be like in twenty thirty five is crazy. It'll just have Brad Pitt running around with Bruce Willis having a good time. Brad Pitt trivia for Honestly. this movie. This was one of his like first up and coming movies. But then, by the time the movie was released, Interview with the Vampire came out, Legends of the Fall came out, Seven came out. But this yeah. was made when he was just sort of a dude, and like he took it for a very low salary, just kind of jumped into it. But yeah, so for that alone, it kind of has some sort of value to see his career, 
even if it was upon its release then a bigger deal that he was in it um yeah mm-hmm. any other thoughts before we move on to children of men probably my favorite or top favorite on this list uh no let's move on because it's also up there for me yeah and we saw this together at what is the theater in seattle that we saw the cinerama the cinerama yeah yeah, it's, which now is closed for the foreseeable future. So sad times, but it was well, really cool to see it there. Well, they 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 closed before all of this. Um, yeah, they had. I think they're going to be lucky because they closed for like scheduled maintenance. So um, it was just good timing closed, on their part. It was. I I think so, but I I mean I was checking in like beginning of January, and they were because I was looking. I was like, oh, I hope something else will come up, but. Yeah, Cinerama was closed for like scheduled remaintenance. I think they're updating projectors and seats and stuff like that because um, they're a small independent theater um, with yeah. a massive screen. So they're they're I I would hope you know those in Seattle that when this kind of goes back they'll they'll be coming back. But yeah, I mean I, I, that for me has always been one of my favorite movies. Um, it's a it's a distinction I'm not super clear on because like some movies I rewatch all the time, but I wouldn't say are like my favorite of all time. In this movie I rewatch every few years, but every time I watch it, I'm I'm just kind of floored by it. Um but I can only rewatch it every couple of years because it's such a such a an intense time. Quinnell, what were your thoughts on Children of Men? Well, Children of Men is already one of my favorite movies. What made it one of your favorites? About five years ago, I really enjoyed the character development. Yeah, you get to know very, very good stuff, like in a very efficient amount of time, while the plot still ends up moving forward very, very efficiently. I, I really like. Without being so aggressive about it, that you get like straightforward exposition. Yeah, and one thing I love so much about that movie is like. Um, you're, it's kind of got this, this context that you can look at it in, in kind of 2020s situation and even our situation right now with the U S um, like health insurance situation. And you can look Mm -hmm. at, at Clive Owen's character, Theo. And even though the whole world has kind of torn itself apart, um, and is very much teetering on like the verge of having no structure he's i mean he's affected by it as everyone is but he's like the least affected by it mm-hmm. um like he's he still got a his day job. job yeah and he's not he's not homeless he's not dealing with uh something super serious and he's kind of just bouncing from like world changing event to world changing event and it doesn't quite affect him until he like takes some personal stake into it and he sees where like this is a gradual progression that I see in his character, but he he's he's able to see the importance of like what he can do. Um, but also it shows how like his character, his demographic, his his place in that society is so much less affected just because of like who he is and where he came from. Um, and I think that's something that's still like super relevant today. I mean, obviously it's relevant in the 1990s and it's, and it's something that we're still dealing with today. And for him, like for, for us looking at that, like that is still hyper relevant to this situation that's going on now of like some people can easily get tested no matter who they are, where they are. And some people 
will never ever get tested no no matter how badly they need it. As a brief context, for those that haven't seen it, the plot is partly centered around a pandemic that does affect everyone, but also the added impetus to the story is that everyone is infertile, no one can be born, which creates a sort of feeling of hopelessness in the world, that there is no future, there is no next generation, which then leads to the rest of the world falling apart, a migration crisis that happens, and... As Henry was saying, Clive Owen's character of Theo Farron formerly was involved in a activist group that was trying to fight this, and he's recruited back into that by his ex-wife, played by Julianne Moore, in the hopes that he can provide safe passage to this woman who ends up being pregnant, which is a miracle, to a sanctuary at sea. And there's a lot of biblical overtones to it, but it very much is just... We have to get from point A to point B once it begins to get into place. There's there's the few scenes at the beginning where Theo smokes pot with Michael Caine as a very unique Jasper, because I don't think I've ever seen Michael Caine quite like that, and sort of just goes about his day. Um, but it's like very well shot, very effective. There are many scenes that are like very extended long takes, and it really, really draws you in in a really, really effective way. Um, the only thing that kind of throws me off, and this is going to maybe be mean, Charlie Hunnam plays one of the sort of antagonists to Theo, and oh boy, sometimes Charlie Hunnam, I don't want to say overacts, but oftentimes will sort of be very over the top where subtlety can be more scary. For example, I think uh, Chuitul Ejiofer is great as the leader of the group that is the more clear antagonist. But it's hard for him to like really get moments to shine when Charlie Hunnam is just like running around shouting and being like very angry and abrasive, which I guess maybe could have been some sort of commentary they were going for that amongst activist communities, it can be one person that can ruin everything with their temper or own adventurous tendencies. But that's my one thing where when I see it, I'm like, oh, man. I kind of like Charlie Hunnam when he's subtle, but when he's just shouting and running around, it's like, ah. And yeah. sometimes maybe it's meant to be silly, like when they're backing the car down the way and he's like chasing after him, but I don't know. What are what are other people's thoughts? Were you about to say something, Henry? Um, yeah, I honestly had forgotten that Charlie Hunnam was in it, so I don't I Yeah, he's don't not a big too. part. Like I don't definitely don't don't share it but yeah I, I notice i know in certain films like that can be a a thing but yeah I, I honestly can't comment on that since i'm not i didn't even notice that he was there okay well then that didn't bother you then that's good no um, yeah it also is directed by alfonso coran who then went on to make a lot of good movies that also got a lot of attention uh gravity which i like roma which i like but i in many ways think Children of Men is his best, even though I haven't seen uh, E2 Mama Tambien. But I, I really think Children of Men is like pretty spectacular. Yeah, I'm, I'm always floored by this movie, and I think it's so interesting that like financially it was not a success. Like it cost yeah. like eighty million or something like that, and it made its money back, I think. But like that was about it. Um, but yeah, Quinell, this is like one of your your favorites, right? 
what is it that oh. that really made it pop for you? Like, was it something you saw the first time, or is it something that came out of it from multiple viewings? Well, I think that Theo is a character who really finds himself invested in a plot that he could have remained otherwise removed from. Mm-hmm. And there's a pretty stark juxtaposition in gender, race, position between himself and the other main character who doesn't really have a lot of speaking. It's not really a speaking role, Key's character. But you just see this bond between them grow on this journey and most of it can be attributed to to just the humanity of the moment and recognizing the gravity of his position and the power that he holds in it when he starts off as such a cynical character. Yeah. I think, I mean, thinking about that and like in Theo and Key's relationship, like it really comes to a head for me in the scene where she gives birth and like that is such that whole seat kind of 15 minute sequence surrounding it is like so panic inducing and it's so terrifying because they're getting like funneled through all these different immigration lockdown chambers and people are like getting attacked and dying and then they get shunted into this place where all the people who are going through these different immigration processes are being held and then she starts to give birth and it's like one thing on top of another on top of another but like at the end of the day, it's just, it's just Clive Owen, um, and it's Key there, and it's like it's only those two, and they have to like figure it out together. And she ends up taking control and being like, "You're the only person here. You have to help me with this." And it's interesting, like you're bringing up, like he, a lot, a lot of this is like things he doesn't have to participate in. Like he's like, "Oh, I'm the only person here, so I'll help out," or like, "I'll do this for." whoever but like this is the first or this is such a a key example in this film of him like having to step up and having to choose uh to do something that is it's definitely selfless and that's the moment where he takes ownership of it i think and there's this also this moment of it's like a breath of fresh air when all the people see that they're holding an infant yeah Oh my God. And they're just able to walk through, and obviously there's some biblical allegory there. But it's yeah, all like the you fighting that for so much of the film, you've been holding your breath. Oh my gosh, so true. And that's when all the fighting stops, and everything just totally becomes silent because people are just in like such awe of what went on and how this is the future for everyone and they could have potentially killed the child and that would have been the end of this new hope that many people had and then of course as soon as they get just beyond the the conflict zone it like picks right back up again which i thought was interesting that it almost was like so brief however long it then felt in a sort of respite from the conflict it was just then oh, okay now back to fighting there's there's still this like conflict that's in our nature that has to happen. I don't know. I I really am interested in it. I also really like how a lot of information is conveyed and we were talking a little bit about this with exposition, but sort of in the background. There's a great video essay that I might link to, but essentially it's just like, oh, he'll be riding in a bus and you'll see things just out of frame or people going through their own sort of story and narrative that you only really get to see brief glimpses of, but it just adds so much to 
the world that you're living in, the struggles that people are having, his sort of detachment from it at the beginning where he's in a barricaded bus and just can remain distant from it and not have a great life but still be able to go to his job and have freedoms that many other people don't have but then it is that he decides to make the sacrifice and stick with it when he at any point probably could have run when things started to get really bad yeah and i think especially your 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 point about like you know he's he's always going through these different situations and he's not quite part of it and then he he ends up being a part of it out of choice but like in the very beginning scene is this scene where where he's getting coffee and there's a bombing at the coffee spot like that he works at and he like walks out of the place unknowingly you know 20 seconds before it happens and that's kind of like his his existence is like he's so close to so many of these things but none of them actually affect him he's kind of like in this other sphere like the way the way he becomes so valuable is like he has these connections to the government so he can go in and talk to these like high up officials who are like his relatives or whatever it is and he's got that opportunity but then like you know like you're saying like once she gives birth it's it's uh there is this weird pause but like that's kind of when things for for theo at least get so like real that to me is when i'm like oh because it seems like like all the people fighting around the birth they all pause when they see the baby and i don't know i i I see it so much and then they just go right back to fighting but to me that pause is like i don't believe any of those individuals within the story want to harm the baby but like the, the the child is still at such great risk just because of the situation and then they just jump back into it right again um but yeah i i I think it's one of those movies that every few years, and I'm I'm interested to rewatch it now. Last time I rewatched it was, I guess, last year. But I would be so curious to rewatch it now, post all of these developments. Do you have any closing um, thoughts? Line right at the beginning of the movie. That is actually why it's my favorite movie. But I also feel like there's something about it that speaks volumes about his experience throughout the film. And I looked it up so that I wouldn't mess it up. Uh, and so the character says, you know that ringing in your ears? It's the sound of your ear cells dying. It's their swan song. And once it's gone, you'll never hear that frequency again. Wow. And I think the fact that he doesn't survive this endeavor, but everything about it is essentially more alive than he's been before. Wow, yeah, that's beautiful. I hadn't thought of that. I think that's a that's a really good note to end on. I don't think any of us are going to atop that. Thank you for, for sharing that, Quinnell. Um, unless there are any closing thoughts on Children of Men, we're now going to move on to something that is maybe a little less beloved. We're going to talk about Carriers. <laughs> um, so Carriers is largely a story of four friends who are attempting to travel to a beach that two of the main characters who are brothers had beloved as a child. It stars Chris Pine when he was the least famous of the Hollywood Chrises. <laughs> and he his we the introduction we have to him is he's driving on a road and is he's like the first line is like, oh yeah, warm beer drinks like piss. And I'm like, all right, we're in for a movie here. <laughs> um, and essentially he's drinking and driving, but they come across a 
father and daughter, the daughter who may be infected. So they steal their car, but then tape them in the back and sort of just go about their adventure trying to make it there. And it's a little meandering. I think it's good for what it is. It's much lower budget than a Children of Men type movie. And apparently did pretty well because the directing team ended up making a similar pandemic story, which I could talk about. But yeah, what were what were people's thoughts on Carriers? Quinnell, uh, do you want to start? <laughs> no. What? what is, do people not like it? What's going on? I liked it. <laughs> what would you like about it? So I liked a few things. There are many things I did not alike, like about it. Um, what would you like about it? Start with that. I did like... So I, Chris Pine is my favorite of the Chris's. Um, oh, okay. And I gotta say, there are only three Chris's. There are not four. Are there four? How many? I don't count I'll Chris Pratt. But Okay, fair. Okay, well... I just don't... He's not at the level of the other ones. I'm sorry. Okay, anyway. That's fair. That's fair. Um, but, yeah, I don't know. I, I was... I'm really interested, especially in these types of movies, like, the relationships between characters. And I I see, like, the child-parent one is one that we see more frequently than not um, in these types of films. Like, these these world-ending films so so frequently and we'll, we'll talk about it on a on one of the films coming up but it's like it's a parent taking care of their child or having to go get them or whatever and oftentimes it's like a significant other a husband like going to get his wife or vice versa or something like that they're all familiar but but one thing i don't we don't see as often is like siblings um mm-hmm. yeah and, and and so i i i loved that like he like Chris Pine and his brother um, were such a big part of it. And especially because they weren't the type of brothers that like I resonate with, or I can like identify with. Um, I found that really interesting to think about, especially in this type of like outbreak environment. And at first, you know, it's like, you've got the Chris Pine character on its face is he's kind of like this jackass. He's like talking all the time. He's very aggressive, but like, for some reason I bought it from his character. I was like, oh, okay. Like he's he's this guy. Like for some reason it made sense with his character. Um and it was Well, he's also something... doing that to cover up for his own trauma. I don't know if you remember towards the end where he tells his brother about how it was his job to clean up the bodies right? and the effect that had on him. So it's very much a front that he's putting on. Exactly. I mostly just had wanted to say the beer line because I thought it was funny, <laughs> but it very much is his armor that he has, like his very big bravado sort of, yeah, but yeah. he's he's still a broken person that everybody is at this point, especially the scene where he has to leave um, his girlfriend behind when it becomes clear that she's sick, Bobby, and yeah. that's probably my favorite scene. Just because yeah. it's like he pulls over and it's like we're done, and like nobody looks at her, nobody will say anything, and it's ooh, it's brutal. It's it's a painful one. Yeah, and I think I think that's an important distinction. It's something that that really is why I like his character is that there there is a reason that I believe of like all these walls around him, the way he is, the reason he is, why he is, um, is something that the film led me to before it illuminated that, like. 
while I was watching him act, I was like, oh, this is this guy. He's putting up this wall. He's putting up this face. And I wasn't sure why. I was like, what what's behind it? Like, I think there are totally people like this, like, especially when when in this type of traumatic situation who like react in this way. And, and I don't know, I felt it very realistic watching his character. Um, but yeah, I, so, I mean, I, and I, I liked scenes of it, but overall, yeah, I think it was, I don't know, I had fun. Okay. What were your negatives then? I want to hear Quinnell's positives or negatives. first. Okay. Well, I will say that I don't know if it's a positive, but I appreciated thematically, especially as it relates to the current situation, that they're really clinging to this nostalgia mm-hmm. and holding out that like part of the world could be unchanged. Yeah, that they could go back to the beach and everything would be fine. Yeah, that they could go to a certain location that is just as innocent as they were when they were last there. Right. Yeah. You know, obviously, Danny realizing that that's not possible. Yeah. And I I kind of have mixed feelings about the end voiceover that Danny does, but I do still think it was good because it, it like makes clear, like, oh, yeah, he is now lost his brother, everyone he knows, and now he's just with this other person that nobody really like cares about. Like, he knows her, but it's like they were fellow students, sort of had a romantic connection, but that's about it. Yeah. I don't know. I I really liked it in, in some regards and just have to appreciate sort of the the independent spirit of it where you're like, oh, okay, you could just find an abandoned road and sort of make this work and have just a stripped-down story. I almost wish they hadn't run into, like, the other survivors, the ones who are all wearing the suits hazmat suits because that just feels like oh we wanted to have like a scary looking guy in a suit for like a a brief shot in the trailer to make you scared but i don't know i still think i still think it's good Um, yeah overall there it's not it's not flawless it's not perfect um but yeah what what about you henry what are your negatives um my negatives is i i mean i think that's one of them is like I think it loses track of its scope a little bit in those yeah. ways of like, I was so interested by like that one thing that really sucked me in was like, they got to that high school, that, that town where they were first trying to go with the dad, Frank, who's also in 12 mm-hmm. monkeys. That was an interesting little gem. Yeah. yeah. Um, Wait, Christopher his... Maloney is in 12 monkeys. Oh yeah, you're right. Yeah, He's the FBI agent who's, Oh like... yeah, yeah. Yeah. And I was like, Oh, so, so, and there's that scene where, like, all the kids are inside the sealed-off place and the doctor is, like, gonna kill them. I, I That was so gripping to me and so upsetting. Mm-hmm. Um, and it, it just fit with, like, there's there's no way to stop this. Um, and I wish just it, it kept out that scope. Um, like you were saying, like, I think it, especially once they get to that, like, resort... Um, it seems like they only get there just to have this showdown with these like well-prepared survivalists or whatever they are that are, that's really scary. Um, and the end result is, is like, is showing that Bobby is uh, infected 
and I, I don't know. I I would have liked to see the story contained within this little group because I think their dynamic was like the most interesting part of it. I agree. It 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 really is beneficial to see the isolation in place. This is totally unconnected, but there was a show called The Last Man on Earth that was starring Will Forte. I watched like the first season of it, but. It was called The Last Man on Earth, and then just immediately started introducing like all these other characters. And I was like, no, I want to like, see how much you can make do with just one character or just a limited group of characters. Because it's almost sort of like necessity ends up becoming the mother of invention in that way, where it's like, oh, what can you do with this? How can you really make this work for so long? Because when you sort of just start dropping in all these other things, of like, oh, there's these people, these people, these people it starts to feel a little unfocused a little bit where I was like, oh, let's just have these same four people like really struggling. I know I'm basically describing more of like an art house, like existentialist, like dread, like we're just trapped by ourselves. I'm basically describing annihilation. I wanted to be like, annihilation. I mean, you're, you're, you're talking about one that we're going to be talking about too is, um, I know, I know it comes up. Yeah. But yeah, I mean, that's one thing I think it's like, this movie a lot reminded me like parts of it weirdly reminded me of the walking dead. And it's like, yeah, I remember, I remember that's a show I don't really follow anymore. And I haven't in a few years, but I remember when the, the premieres, like when the first one came out, how insane that first episode was where it's like, you don't really learn anything. All you see yeah. is the aftermath um, and its effects. And like, that's, that's something that especially I think is so kind of on the tip of our tongue right now is like, we've been watching it in other countries when everything gets shut down and, and like what, how people react, but now facing that in our, like where we live, that is such a different question. And everyone's kind of wondering of like, well, like, or is everyone going to be peaceful? Are people going to freak out? Are people going to be raiding stuff? Like what's going on? Um, yeah. And I could pick up with some of that in carriers. Um, but I also, yeah, I, I think it was, I'm glad it was very tight. It was very short. Um, overall, very enjoyed it. Yeah. Are there any other thoughts on Carriers before we move to Contagion? No. Because Contagion is probably the most opposite movie. Well, not the most opposite. It's the one people have been talking about the most and the one I genuinely like. Even though people have been giving it a hard time, I think it's quite good. I actually watched it just last night. So I have it the most fresh in my memory, but I don't want to over talk about it. Henry, what are your thoughts on Contagion? Because Quinell, I don't think you saw this one, right? No, I didn't see Contagion. It okay. is. It it's uh it's quickly become one of my favorite movies. I've seen it like Whoa. three times, three times in the last couple weeks. Yeah. Um, and because I found I hadn't seen it, and I I do this weird thing with Soderbergh movies is like. I love Soderbergh so much, but I haven't seen all of his films because every now and then I like discovering a new one and right. then I watch it a bunch of times and I like, I like that newness. Um, so I've yeah, been yeah. slow getting through his filmography and Contagion was one I was like, Ooh, like I'm, I'm so excited to jump into this one. Like I've heard things, whatever. And then like, I of course saw these articles of, like everyone's watching or like pirating Contagion. So I was like, okay, I'll, I'll get in on this action. And I, I bought Contagion <laughs> and I was like, oh my gosh, this is the best movie I've ever seen. Like, this Why is incredible. was it the best movie you've ever seen? It, I, it just felt so good. I felt so good watching it. Um, 
I think it's beautiful. I think it's, I mean, visually beautiful. Sure. Like that, that's so impactful to me, but also just like the way that it ends and the way that it, it's carries stories through and the weird way that it's structured like narratively. Um, it's, it could be said that it's unfocused, um, but I kind of I like that. Really, I think it's really focused in that it's like every single scene, it's like we need to know just these things about the characters. I started keeping track of shots. It's like, oh, okay, that was five shots, and we had a whole story. Boom, boom, boom. Well, I yeah, so, I mean, it is focused in that way. I, I more mean, like, with the subjects that it's caring about. Um, like, there are some parts that seem less uh like they they only get you know 75 percent the way through a storyline that you think would get a hundred percent told right 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 but i think i i really i really like that and i like how it feels episodic but in a cohesive world right i do have a question that's like a broader thing because i think there was an article that sort of was written when the pandemic was starting to spread that we're experiencing now about how Contagion almost ends, I don't want to say in too sappy of a fashion, but it almost, for the whole time, is so dour and haunting that it almost feels like it lets the audience off the hook a little bit with how it just fixes everything. And I don't know, I was wondering if you thought it ends up being a little too quickly resolved, because it's not a long film, it's only an hour 46 some of the other ones we've watched are pushing over two hours. And I almost felt like it could have either been fixed a little more gradually or lingered in the fear and conflict that was happening for a little bit longer because otherwise it just sort of is like, oh, okay, they, they figure it like Dimitri Martin, he, he was the key. <laughs> he figured yeah. out how to do it. And if no one knows who Dimitri Martin is, but I... Upon seeing it, he's a stand-up comedian. What? He's just kind of. Mother I do sleeps. know who Dimitri Martin is, but yeah, what? What was that? Quinell? Oh, he used to have a stand-up where he talks about how leather vests are cool. Yeah, and he's the hero essentially. Him and the other scientist. She's she's the true hero, but it's him who looks at a certain sequence that discovers things, and then she like tests it on herself and makes that sacrifice. But it's still just like, oh, okay, it's over. Goodbye. That's it. We gotta go. Yeah, I, I I've been thinking a lot about that. Um, and what I think is like it it's a very episodic movie in the sense of like it's it feels so much of like a diorama of of painting this really broad picture, but using slightly more specific examples because it is covering a pandemic that kind of goes over the whole world and it's very U.S. centric, but but parts of it it isn't. And I think. I th- I would say you know it does it uh, does end it could be seen as abruptly but also it's like we're brought into the story very abruptly and I mean one one kind of through line is that these films are not like I wouldn't say I've been t- people have been like oh my god how do you watch Contagion at these times I'm like I I think it's very it's relieving to watch in a lot of ways because of cathartic. Yeah, yeah, and and also it's like because of the ending and how pretty it is, and how how emotionally charged the ending is, especially, um, it's like almost completely like textually unrelated to the virus, but mm-hmm. emotionally it's very related to like the trauma that the whole world has gone through, um, 
And I, I just love ending on that little snippet of like, the whole film is about this incredible loss, but it's also about uh, like the continuation of the human race. And I, I don't think it's very much about one or the other more specifically. Like it seems more about um, painting this picture than it is about telling a story of a virus, you know, killing whatever 20% of the population or no, it wasn't even that bad. It was, yeah, I, I think, think it's whatever. still a lot. It's, it yeah. starts to really go. I think like 3 million Americans or something like that. Um, but it, it, I don't know. It's just, it looks so good and it's so, um, it really gets at that, that kind of fear of like, it's something that is so small that we can't really understand. Like right. it's very, it's very hard to put my head around anyways. The idea that like not going for a walk or whatever um, is going to stop this virus from spreading. And I think it's a really, really interesting position that we're in of like having to try to grapple with this insanely broad idea, this issue and personalize it on such a scale and then make actions based off of that. Like that's, I think that's really hard for us to do. It's really hard for me to do anyways. And I think this movie, by dealing with the broader things and then the very specific things and um, the whole time kind of painting this this kind of ever-moving like freight train of a virus just plowing through is, is right. was very uh, impactful in that sense. Gotcha. I had a question. What do you think and make of jude law's character (laughs) uh i i have a lot of fun watching it he's um for those that don't know jude law is a freelance journalist turned huckster who takes advantage of the crisis uh by claiming to have been infected with the virus supposedly giving himself a cure that he has been paid to do and makes like $4 million, but sort of is this very cynical figure throughout all of it. And I don't know. I I think he's he could almost have his own sort of movie in regards to just like how exploitative he was. It yeah. reminded me a lot of um, Jake Yulenhall in... Oh, what was the movie where he drives and like films crash accidents? What is that movie? Nightcrawler. Nightcrawler. Yeah, it reminds me a lot of that character that he's just like very skeezy trying to just make a quick buck. And like you get a brief glance at the beginning that he's a struggling journalist like a little bit and now he's able to just make like millions of dollars off this. It's like the people that buy up all the medical supplies or cleaning supplies. It's it's the exact same type of person, but you don't really see that as much in many of the movies. So I, I like his character a lot in it. I really do too. I I feel very similarly. Um, I like that we're given just a little bit of him. Like I could see a whole film or TV show or whatever being developed around this type of character. Um, And that's less interesting to me as having him as just like one of the pieces in this larger tableau. Right. Like one thing I think that's very interesting in Carrier, I mean, sorry, in Contagion is like, the the apparent ease at which the government like deals with it you know like there's there's they they've got this lottery system for the vaccine that's rolled out very like 
easily and quickly. It's basically just like a, a lottery system based on the day that you're born so that within a year, everyone will get a vaccine. Mm-hmm. And they just do random numbers. And then like there's that one scene where they're like, sorry, there's no more food today. And people are like, oh, man. And they like rummage around in the, the military trucks. But that's it. Yeah. And and I, I there's you know, there's garbage everywhere. But I did like that this was not this hyper violent um the like, violence is usually kept out of focus like it'll be Matt Damon's character in his home and he hears gunshots and sees the house next door being looted but you don't see a lot up close most times yeah and a lot of characters weren't dealing with violence they were more dealing with like okay how do i feed myself how do i like keep my family safe um which is something that I think we're, we're looking at more and more these days, especially like in Seattle. It's less of a question, it seems, of like physical protection from like people raiding your house, which happens in this movie. But like if we look at Carriers or any of the other films that we've been looking at, like what happens or what, we're, what, what we see happening is like once the government gets involved, then things become violent. Um, and this is just a very different look at that in a way that I, I like thinking about. I was going to ask how close to, just because I live in Tacoma and there's, there's similar things that we're going through, but you're, you're in Seattle, you're in the, the epicenter of everything. What is it like day to day and how, how do the movies sort of compare to what things are like up there? Uh, it's so I rewatched Contagion with my younger brother who was visiting from San Francisco. Um, Quite a time to he, visit. Yeah, he went back a little early just to, just because uh, he didn't want to get stuck here. But we were watching it at the same time that the NBA was shutting down. So like mm. we we're getting these notifications on our phones about like all this st- stuff that was shutting down while we were watching Contagion, and especially in the first two thirds, as everything is shutting down and getting worse and worse and worse. There is something so incredible, as as kind of freaky as it is, but there's something so incredible about watching a film came out in 2011 and then like seeing real world examples of this happening as we're watching it is like, Mm -hmm. it is so bizarre. So I definitely recommend the movie to anyone just on that, like when in your lifetime are you going to see that? Um, It is definitely, definitely freaky, but it, day to day it's a little weird here because i feel like so many people are just waiting for something to happen um which is kind of dark to say but like that's how that's definitely how it feels like a lot of a lot of places have closed but also there are also a weird amount of people still outside like i was i've been working from home since last weekend like my work is only a few miles as the crow flies from the the old folks home in Kirkland where most of the Washington deaths have occurred. Um, and it's, you'd think, I mean, talking with people in the Bay area, it's very shut down there and no one's going outside seeing pictures of Italy in various places. It's very shut down. No one's outside, but like here yesterday there's, there are people everywhere. Like I right. went for, I was going to go for like a quick walk. Cause I was like, Oh, green Lake, Seattle is going to be empty and I yeah. walked down the block and it's just like packed with people I was like okay I'm, I'm not going to walk around in there for right for today but it's a it is this weird situation of 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 like 
all all the news outlets and everything are saying one thing, but then a lot of the the overwhelming experience is not reflecting that. But mm-hmm. people are are waiting to see what happens while not really changing their uh, behavior. So it's a really weird energy in Seattle right now. Gotcha. Well, thanks for thanks for sharing that. Um, yeah. Do we have any other final thoughts on Contagion before we move to our last film? It comes at night. It's always wild to me that so many things are connected to Atlanta because the CDC is here. Yeah. Most of the time, I just forget that it's here. How are things in Atlanta for you right now? Um, pretty unchanged. I don't think enough people have died for people to be panicking. Right. It's kind of a cool thing to say, but it's true. We've only had three deaths as of mm-hmm. yesterday, and all the bars are open and restaurants are open and all the stores are open. I think bars and restaurants are closed in Brookhaven, which is a very small city, mostly populated by older white people. Mm-hmm. So that makes sense. But uh, for the most part, it's kind of business as usual, but a lot of people seem to know that they're not supposed to go out. Right. But I think people are just now even starting to get worried about job security and stuff like that. Um, and they just canceled like non-essential surgeries and whatnot. My parents. Are yeah, like, that's been happening like, pretty commonly. So. Yeah, because they're just getting overwhelmed. Yeah. So just this week. Um. Yeah. So now we're gonna move into uh, a movie I really like, but kind of got a bad rap when it first came out but maybe it's our future after all this blows <laughs> over who knows ha <laughs> anyway it's called it comes that night um it essentially is a family living in a secluded home in the woods and they can't go outside very much there's been some sort of pandemic that has terrorized the world no one can really be trusted even if they are well intentioned they very well could be sick um and then another young family who's desperate and needs food shows up at their home and after an initial distrust they decide to let them into their home but then paranoia and fear begins to set in and the two families struggle to live and cohabitate peacefully together um it was sort of advertised as a monster movie and the title itself is almost a misdirect because there is no monster that it more refers to paranoia and fear in the title. And I think that's why some people didn't like it, but I think it's actually really, really good. Um, yeah. What were everyone else's thoughts on it comes at night? Quinnell. I really like that the plot seems to be organized around paranoia. Yeah. And like it can so much of what we fear with, when diseases strike is just concern and worry. Mm-hmm. And it can be just like in little conversations that twist so quickly. Like when the two uh, fathers are, I think, just having a beer and talking. And then Will says something to the effect that alludes that there are other people nearby, his brother or someone. And then Paul is like, earlier you said there was no one else. And it immediately sets things on edge because if it's like, oh, if he's lying about that, what else has he been lying about? Is there a risk to his family's safety that another group could show up? And yeah, it's it's so 
like when I see those scenes and it just like immediately gets like into like an extreme close up and it just doesn't let you go. It's like really scary. It's very sad. When I saw this movie, I actually saw it in a theater in Olympia that was like a huge, really cool theater called the Capitol Theater here in Washington. And there were like only a couple of other people there. And at the end of the movie, the older woman who was in there just like started crying and it's like because it's really dour it's like just like emotionally a wrecking ball to your soul it's really sad Uh, but henry what what are your thoughts on it comes at night um i think so i saw it a little after it came out um and i I definitely it was something that stuck with me. I don't know how much I enjoyed it, but it was something that like I keep thinking about, especially with that idea of like what is the best way through some type of situation that you can't handle? You know, it's like they they try to trust people, they try to reach out, they try to take care of other people. Mm-hmm. But at the end, like there's this constant this it is it's a mental virus in in, in every single person's head of like self-preservation and family preservation like bar nothing and i think that's often articulated in films like this with like rules that characters set up and in within the world so like in in carriers they set up their rules where like if like this is what you do you never do this 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 um if someone gets sick like they're done and these are all rules they they kind of set up the characters set up to to protect themselves and their individual group and like same thing for like twenty eight days later or or anything where it's like in in contagion, Matt Damon's character's rules are like you can't go outside and and hang out with the boy you like like for the next year. Sorry, not gonna happen. Um, right. And this does this this does the same thing. And I I find that is always so interesting to see where the rules are broken and where they aren't, and how the filmmakers use that to like leverage different story points and different narrative ideas. Um, and this one does it extremely effectively because you are sitting there, you're thinking, well, if this is my family, what would I do? Or like, if I was part of the situation, what would you, do? what would I do? Because it's so focused on the people and on that paranoia, on that anxiety, on the, the, the key thing is that they don't know. They don't know who they can trust. They don't know anything. And that is this, like this beating drum, this heartbeat through the entire film, um, and you really focus in on it because there's so little else happening besides this family dealing with with the unknown outside of their house and then the two people coming into their house that like you, it's really hard to get through because you're you're sitting there with that idea the entire time. Um, but I, I really like it. I think it does that so well. And it's it's one thing. It's like I saw that movie two years ago and I still think about it or whenever it came out. Mm hmm. Quonell, do you, do you have any thoughts about anything Henry just said? Yeah, I was just going to mention, I don't know uh, if it's specifically about something Henry said, but it's always really a cinematic turning point when a dog dies. Yeah. And the spoiler fact that the so dog much dies. of this film is... Uh, sorry, spoiler, the dog dies. Um, but I just think it's so interesting that this film is about how far worry can go. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Like how far does con- how just the the concern about your family, about yourself, how deep that can run, and what the repercussions can be of that. And, and what it you're just reminds me so do. much of ne- 
Sorry, um, go ahead. Yeah, and what you're willing to do to protect yourself. But it reminds me so much of now, just the idea that, you know, people are worried if somebody coughs near you. Yeah, exactly. What you would do in that instance. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Obviously, we are saying people should remain calm. Like, I was joking about this. This is, we are we are okay, but it is still interesting to see what happens when humanity reaches a point that is so dire and what happens when push comes to shove and our very well-being is threatened how that can make us do things we normally wouldn't do or thought we were capable of which becomes very clear towards the end how everything goes and falls apart very very quickly yeah and it's really a telltale um sign of like a good horror movie specifically about Mm -hmm. not being able to see the threat and yeah. so having that turned on its head and making the threats something that you couldn't see. Right. Yeah. Cause that your, your imagination is always going to fill it in and make it much more scary than what it, what it could ever be in reality. Your, your mind will always create greater fears. Yeah. It's, it's a nerve shredding movie. Inherently. Yeah, exactly. Cause it's like anyone could have it. You never know. You just have to live with that fear basically all the time, always. Um, I do have some thoughts about the dream sequences that happen. I think I sometimes think the dream sequences also were misused, at least in the trailer. So my like problem is less with the dream sequences and more again how it made it seem like, oh, there's monsters or some sort of other scary force when it's more about the sun's own fear than it is about the monsters themselves, if that makes sense. And yeah, again, it's just like the marketing for this movie was a bummer that everyone was like, oh, it's a monster movie. And it's like, no, it's not a monster movie. But yeah, I don't know. One thing I I think we're talking about the dog death and this is slightly um, slightly on topic, slightly off topic. But I think it's one of those things that's like we 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 just can't really like it's we blow it out of proportion when an animal dies in a in a film or something and it's something that happens so infrequently that like when it happens it's this massive turning thing um that i find it so interesting because we tolerate so many really upsetting types of violence like routinely in our media yet we won't tolerate or put up with very much like dogs dying which is a part of our life that we deal with more frequently than we deal with actual death um but yeah, it's I, I always find that really interesting, and especially in this type of movie where it's like, if you're if you're living in that existence, like I was thinking about this um, when I was watching I was watching a Quiet Place, and I was thinking about mm-hmm. like, what if you have pets, right? Like, yeah, or like you know they've got the ultimate thing, which is like a baby that they have to take care of and keep quiet. But like, what if you have a dog? You know, like that's gonna either get you killed or die immediately. Yeah. And, and, and it comes at night, like they can be so animals could be such a useful thing for like keeping you safe, but then also like they're totally at risk of, of dying. Same as we are. Right. Um, And then it's that another emotion that, that other emotional burden to carry. To be fair, the dog's name is Mikey. We haven't named the dog. According to IMDb, the dog is named Mikey played by a dog named Stanley. So we need, we need to. We need to put respect on Mikey's name. <laughs> no, yes. I think I think the dog dying, I think, is made worse by the fact that the very opening scene is them having to effectively kill a family member who has gotten sick. 
So yeah. it's like mm-hmm. they're it's like they're losing more members of their family as the story goes on. And when you have so few people, that's just like whoa, it's it's rough. Yeah. Um, yeah. It's it's so sad. I it's like it's one of those things where I like wake up and I'm like, oh man, that was just real sad. Just, <laughs> towards the end and like the scream that happens in a specific moment is just like forever in my head where it's just like oh real brutal um are there any any other thoughts on it comes at night we've probably been running a bit long but i don't want to stop us if people are still having thoughts no anything else oh well well thanks thanks for joining the best of you all yeah exactly (laughs) stay safe i mean honestly i was gonna plug something at the end because i i've been working at the newspaper just writing about a bunch of different things but i was just gonna say there's there's a bunch of streaming movies you can watch i liked this movie called blow the man down that by the time this podcast goes up you can stream on amazon and i think that's something both henry and quinnell also could like um also, Universal Pictures has been releasing a bunch of their movies in theaters like Emma, The Invisible Man, and The Hunt, um, which is maybe going to change the movie industry as we know it. Who knows? Um, but yeah. Oh, I also saw the movie The Banker, which Ooh. was about the first black banker who's played by Anthony Mackie. He's really good in it. The movie is probably just okay, but Anthony Mackie is really good. That's the Apple Music one, right? Yeah, it's on Apple TV. Sorry, not Apple Music. The Apple produced one, yeah. Yeah, and it got delayed because the producer's son had some allegations around him. So that's Mm. that's something to keep in mind. Um, I think Anthony Mackie is worth seeing it for, but obviously, I don't know. If you're looking for a better movie, probably see uh, Blow the Man Down. But The Banker's also fine. Um, Yeah. I hope I hope everyone has a good day. Thank oh, you for joining me. Our long-term commit commitment for a TV show. Yeah. Uh, v Wars is kind of an epidemic show, and it's very weird. What is it? The vampire show. It's a vampire show called V Wars, starring Ian Somerhalder as a doctor who's immune to this disease. Uh huh. Is this on it's Netflix? Essentially, an epidemic TV show. But yeah, it's on Netflix. Oh, okay. Oh, okay. Do you have any recommendations, Henry? Um, Aquaman. <laughs> oh my <Rick> god! <laughs> Stop! No. I swear, everyone I've shown it to says it's the best movie, and they thank me for showing That's it to them. That's so not true. <laughs> um, it is true. I can prove it. Um, that's I about it. This. All right. Well, on that note, thank you, thank you both for joining us. This was thank a fun you. time. Maybe we'll do something similar again in the future. I don't know. We might be on a hiatus with everything that's going on. But have a good rest of your day, everybody. Stay safe. Thanks again, Quinnell and Henry. Thanks. Thanks for listening.